Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today's podcast is with Brian Holiday, who is a fractional CMO for three different home goods and apparel brands. Brian is a longtime performance marketer with a skill set on paid social that makes him dangerous and a strategic mind for the broader picture that really sets him apart. Today we dive in on what the day-to-day looks like for a fractional CMO and exactly how he integrates with the brands he works with. Uh, we'll talk about the biggest impacts he's had with each of his brands. We'll talk about the sea changes that Brian's seen in the D2C space since 2019 and what he's done to keep his brand's heads above water. We dive in on the risks of retail and marketplaces and why the old adage, if you shelve it, they will come, couldn't be further from the truth. And we'll wrap up on why Facebook and Instagram are still your best bet in paid social media marketing. And of course, you'll learn how Brian bribed his way onto the podcast, which as D2C owners, you can do too. Feel free to send me your stuff. On with the show. I've seen way too many brands expand way too fast into retail, assuming that a relationship with Target is gonna change their business and it actually hurts it. What can happen is you ultimately end up on a shelf in a section. There's slotting fees. It costs money to sit on that shelf. You lose margin for the whatever. But we're excited, we got this really big PO and we're in 700 stores or whatever, great. You don't have demand for your product and no one knows who you are, no one's gonna buy you. There's no reason for them to know why you're different than your competition. So sitting on that shelf can be just expensive. I've seen tons of brands in tricky spots where they just overextended themselves, not having the demand in the market and flopped. D2C marketers, let's get real. How many hours have you wasted searching for brand influencers only to come up empty handed? It's time to stop spending time searching, scrolling and haggling with influencers and start using creator marketing with hashtag paid. With Hashtag Paid, you can find your perfect creator match for your brand in less than 10 minutes every time. Getting started is easy. Just select your audience, campaign objectives, pick from a short list of creators, and hit run. It's just that easy. There's a reason why Hashtag Paid is the number one rated influencer marketing platform for D2C brands. As a D2C listener, you can even get credits for your first campaign. Just go to go.hashtagpaid.com slash DTCpod to get started. Hey, Brian, welcome to the D2C podcast. Can you start by telling me what a day in the life of a fractional CMO looks like? I would say up, up fairly early. Um, you know, I have, I have a high school age boy. I have all boys, so a high school age boy and then kind of middle school and elementary. And so kind of out at different times, but like up at 6.15 to get him out the door, early school there. Um, kind of jumping in early just to check emails, spend a little time in the morning just getting things. And then I'd say the majority of my day probably starts at about nine and, and spend a ton of time really just in Twitter and kind of the marketing verse there, uh, you know, loving the newsletters from D to C coming in and, and, and checking out kind of some of the latest trends there, but just really kind of keeping a pulse on, on what's happening. And then um, kind of really diving into the, the core brands that I work with. Uh, as a, you know, really that kind of fractional minded CMO. So dive into those and then. And what does it mean? What does it mean? So like, you know, these teams all have marketing teams as well. Like where do this, where do the CMOs roles and response, the fractional CMOs roles and responsibilities lie in this case? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, what's been, I think that's, it's evolving at least for, for me. I feel like you have to come in really with this like excitement and energy that really drives like, okay, hey, we know that the ecosystem's changed and the way that you could advertise 
you know, from 2019 to 2022 has been quite a bit of a shakeup in, in our space. And so, you know, I, I have come from the brand side. I, I was, a, I was a, you know, a, a digital marketing director at, at, a, at a large beauty brand. I was a digital marketing director at a large home, uh, a home brand. And so it's like uh, in a houseware space and it's like that I, I watched it as a brand side marketer. Right. Um, and, and under and sat in those meetings with with the CEO and, and had those conversations. And so I would say that there's an there's an excitement that needs to happen and then also a recognition of what's been done. Right. So depending on where you're coming into the brand, like they they've probably tried everything. They've spun their wheels, they've worked with handfuls of agencies. They're 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 constantly trying to manage margin and profitability while looking at growth. And so I think it's coming in listening more than talking and 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 making sure that you understand as much as you can soak in soak in soak in read look get as much access to their to their PNL and or their data as possible soak 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 and then come back and start to kind of slowly dissect strategic pieces and and make sure that you're again getting the feedback from those who have really put the effort in the 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 designers and the social media people on the, on the road, the customer service team, like that you're working with them and not just coming in and being like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to change your business. It's like, well, probably not. There's, there's no silver bullet, but I, let, let's come in and solve problems. And you're kind of coming from an environment and you kind of alluded to this in the difference between 2019 and 2022, where probably a CMO's job and the director of marketing of marketing's job was was maybe a little bit easier in that they had a, a push button solution for driving reliable conversions and scale. Can you just talk a little bit about that transition and those conversations you have been having with some of these brands about what needs to be done, what has happened and what needs to be done? Yeah, I think, agreed. I, I really, I feel like there's been a, a dynamic shift in knowing that you could have, you could kind of historically relied pretty heavily on a, a core set of channels and been like, okay, cool. Like push comes a shove. We can put money here. We can be fairly confident in its return. And so the evolution of both consumer habit between 19 and 22, one adoption of, uh, you know, pandemic hits a significant adoption of, of all things digital, like everyone going online and whatever 21 comes and they're kind of, you know, comfortable with it, but starting to get back a little bit. And then 22 hits and it feels like you're kind of back in 2019, yet you don't have nearly as much of the tool set in front of you. And so it's been a quite a bit of a, an approach of building consistency a little bit and, and calming everyone and just saying like, okay, it's, we're in this kind of boat together, direct to consumer, e-commerce, digital marketing, we're all experiencing flux. Some brands are seeing potentially more aggressive uh, negative results, and some are potentially even seeing a little bit of upside. And so when you're out there in the Twitterverse or you're out there and you hear this like, you know, someone saying, well, our ROAS is blank or our return is blank, and you're just like, well, mine's not. <laughs> and we've, we've exhausted every option available, right? I've got my management team, our board of directors on my shoulder, whatever that may be. I get that. That pressure comes. I think it's standing back holistically and realizing that it it's probably not just you. <laughs> like meaning don't like the pressure is 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 there for all marketers. And it's not just you. You're not alone. That's one. That's always helpful. 
And then two, I think that there's, there's constantly, and then just rely on what you know. Does that make sense? Like, I think what's happening a lot is that there, there's knee jerk reactions happening within the space and it's causing like a, just too much, too much movement on stuff. And it's hard to track that. Yeah. It's interesting. We hear advertisers all the time talking about uh, transferring budget right now from sort of Facebook into, you know, maybe they're, they're increasing their Google ads account. Maybe they're increasing their TikTok account. What, what are some of the moves that you've done over the last, like say six months with some of the brands that you're working with that have sort of paid dividends? Are you talking about shifting budget from platform to platform? Or are you thinking about like taking that full step back and, and being like, let's be more holistic about where we distribute these products at all? Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. I think it's been, there's a lot of traction in some new platform, right? I think the evolution of streaming uh, over that time frame, right? And the access to that, I mean, you know, in the time frame of between, in that time frame, Hulu's come out with self-service. Roku is in beta on self-service streaming, right? On CTV options. Um, and then you come and you look at the evolution of, of TikTok, yep. right? I mean, From I was reels, at CES They had to invent and, reels to compete with TikTok. Yeah, exactly. You got Instagram creating reels to go. But then, then you look at TikTok. I mean, in, I was at CES in 2019 or 2020, January of 2020 at CES. Um, begging, like in the, in, I don't, I think it was Aria hotel, literally begging a dude holding a sign that was like, we'll take you up to the TikTok room and you can have like, please let, can I get a contact information of someone seriously to let me in to advertising? And they were like, no, it's kind of invite only, you know, your big, your big brands are in. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I want to spend money. Like what do I got to do? And, and then, and then you get in and then now, and then it's like, then their attribution isn't set right. And like, it's so it, it, it's been tricky that way. So yes, I think, I think I'm always on the cusp of trying to find solutions to, to really drive result. That being said, if there's, if there's a holistic issue with just brand success, whether that's conversion rates or, or, or whether you, you know, you used to be able to acquire a consumer for X dollars and now it's costing you two times that or whatever that may be. Right. Um, at the core of it, like Facebook still has consumers. Like I, I people all this time, ah, the app people are leaving, whatever. Literally ask 10 of your friends today, text 10 of your friends and say, when was the last time you logged into Instagram? And they're going to be like this morning, yesterday, like five minutes ago, two minutes ago. Like people are still on there just because Facebook doesn't know what you're, they're still on there. And so the tricky part comes is when you, the question to answer your question, like, yes, I think holistically you have to stand back if something isn't working like it was before. If your Facebook ads have fallen off the map and you're not receiving the same benefit, yeah, stand back. Look at, okay, when we acquired customers, when it was good, what were the other things that mattered? Was our, did our email capture rate get better or worse? Was our time on site, all of the metrics on, on land, was it, was it impactful? Did, did, did it change? Do people, do people stay longer or stay less of the time? Like 30,000 foot view and go like, do we still, are we still in front of the right customer? And, and then start to in, direct and decide because the, the problem is, is that Facebook used to do 90% of that. Facebook would, you would put out a lookalike audience and it would find the consumers that looked like consumers that have purchased from your site. 
Now you throw a lookalike, it doesn't know who is who. And so it's just like, eh, I'm going to get generally a segment. And so that, that qualification comes down to how good am I at recognizing as a marketer, not me just in general, but like how good are you at looking at how the business was operating from a, from the things you can control? Like you can control, you can look at GA to see how well people interact. That didn't, that, if that changed, then something systemically changed. They're not interested in your product as much. You haven't done enough development of that product, newness, right? And then LTV, like people coming back that used to come to you. Those factors, those are those are those are those are like eternal, stable principles. Like, if if your site doesn't, people won't stay as long. Then something's up. Like you're not bringing the right person, or something's up as far as the conversion funnel. So the, I would say yeah, to answer your question, always looking for new, but feeling having to come back a little bit and 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 take a landscape shot your, your point you know there's no less ad impressions you know that maybe you know maybe some of the very youngest people are moving off of facebook onto other platforms for but sure i look at right. my screen time and the amount of ad impressions that are being generated by <laughs> by me alone these days uh is sort of off the chart so it's and to me what we talk about on the podcast all the time is so much of that comes down to your creative so like this isn't stepping all the way back this is just stepping back to 100 to your creative which has to be that thing that in the absence of you know, these amazing targeting parameters and this amazing pixel, your creative has to do that, that gravity, that magnet magnetizing, right? Exactly. And, and yeah, and I've heard a bunch of your, a bunch of the guests come on, you know, content is targeting and all those things, right? Like you're correct. It's it, but it's the same consumer. It's the same consumer. There's nothing's changed. You're still on it. I'm still on it. We right? just might not My get them in that. In the egg, you know, algorithmic per- perfect moment that they were going to yeah. make it, and, or they might, market, they might have already bought it, you know, and, and, and they don't recognize exactly. it. Exactly. A hundred percent. Like the in market consumer, I don't know who you are as I used to. I used to know like, oh, hey, you're in market for a new hat. Okay, sweet. Or you're in market for a car or you're like, Facebook knew that because you were like searching and looking and pot. Like now it doesn't have that same data. You're still on there. You're still looking. And, and, and now, now it's not as relevant. And so that's where it gets, that's where it's gotten tricky is the relevancy now comes. And so you have to feed through that with, like you mentioned back to content. So, okay. So you're now a fractional CMO for woven nook, which is a home textile company, Maven thread, which is a luxury fitness apparel brand and Piper Finn leather shoes for kids that I'm going to be looking at for my daughter. Can you give me an example of some of the, some of the moves you've made maybe in the last six months with these brands sort of specifically that have really moved the needle for them? Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, I would say, so yeah. So looking very, very unique offerings, each have very unique offerings. Um, each have super unique user intents, right? When you're, when you're in market for, let's just say woven nooks, home textiles, right? You're looking for, you just purchased, or you have a, a couch that you're just like, Oh man, I, I need to make, I need to spruce this room up. Um, the way that you, the process that you're looking for that design, one, you may not even know what your design is, right? Are you, are you Scandinavian style, modern, traditional, transitional? Like there's all these different styles. A lot of the times you don't know where you're at in, in that, in that funnel of, 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 of recognition. And so one thing that has been interesting in, in working with fairly, I almost identical demographics uh, you know, really kind of your 30 to 45 year old, 25 to 45 year old demo, um, that they have very similar interests, even, 
right? Um, that, that there has been a really kind of true understanding of what, what is a, what would you call like a, like a purchase on a whim <laughs> and then like a, dis, like a very direct purchase and then just like a necessity. And the great, the crazy part is, is again, none of those products, I don't think you would define as necessity, potentially like the fitness apparel brand, right? The women's fitness apparel brand is, you know, falls into like most women are interested in fitness or are wanting to be fit or finding ways to be healthy. Um, we also kind of have, you know, kind of at like leisure wear as well. So being comfortable and stylish at the same time and all that. And so that one has a little bit more of like an, an, an ebb and flow of like, oh yeah, I, I'm always in market for like a, a new sports bra or I'm always, I'm always looking for a, a, like a, a pair of, you know, uh, leggings that, that work for what I'm looking for where like home decor, the in market of that is like really on a whim potentially like, Oh, I'm just tired of what I have. So I want to refresh it. And that's harder to catch. And so why I mentioned that. And then the last one is kids. Like, I'm out of the stage of kids even fit. My kids wear literally men's size shoes. They're huge. And so it's like, they're out of that. And so from a consumer perspective, we have a short window on a on a, on a kid's brand. You have a tiny window. You have from birth really until like four or five. And then we size out. And then, you know, on the home decor, it really is like, if you have what they're looking for from a style perspective, then you can offer them a product. And then on the apparel side, kind of it comes down to if you like the styles and then you feel like it's valuable product. So all that being said, what I've done in each of those cases, just from like, you know, a unique perspective has said, okay, all of them initially grew successfully via paid advertising, specifically paid social on Facebook, right? They were, they had done phenomenal at growing on that. They had also the uh, primarily woven nook and maven thread had grown well on Amazon as well. So they'd kind of launched Amazon products and opportunities, taken some of those, created direct to consumer, turned on Facebook advertising, had great photography, great video, all the things, and then capitalized on that great ecosystem that existed and prior to really the iOS update that they could get the just the momentum and whatever. Um, that being said, they started to really feel like the pinch of the expansion opportunity within paid social. And so it kind of came to a point of how do we move beyond that and really think of who our customer is? How do we get to them? What do we do to, to define that new working relationship in all where they are in their daily life, exactly. where, where they'll encounter your product. Exactly. Part of it. Exactly. So it's like, so, yeah. so when you look at a home decor, you got to just be stylish all the time. You got to be present and stylish. And if someone's in market and they happen to be scrolling on IG and they see like, Oh, that's a, I really like that bedroom design or I literally like the pillows on that bed. It's a, it's a hesitation moment that says, and hopefully they click and they, and, and they get that impression, that impression drives them and it drives that action outside of that from like a search perspective. I, most, most consumers in that don't even know what to look for. They know when they see it, what they like, but like you go and just search like pillow covers in some cases you do, but it, but you would, you would get so big of a bubble that in most cases, a lot of home decor will follow influencers 
and thought leaders and they have like, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, st- I wouldn't say like trend setters in that they, that they like, Oh, this influencer has a really pretty house. So whatever she's got on her couch, I would love my room to be designed like that as well. And so that's been a big piece of that business has been like, okay, how do you create tastemakers and find them at scale and then keep our products in a more, in an authentic way in front of them and drive, you know, that valuable execution. Like, okay, they actually come to the site. They take the time, they look around, they like the style. Again, the other thing too, that comes with all of these is like product assortment. Like, you know, you, some people just don't like leopard print. <laughs> some people love leopard print. Like some, you know, so it's having both, both product selection and then being available to those. And so I think the biggest adjustment has been from where I had been previously is that they had very small, they sold like five things really well. <laughs> or like, does that make sense? Like small, like we sold, you know, beauty specific devices. Cool. That was it. That's it. <laughs> like five things. Down. And then the other thing was like, we sold one thing. And and this is like, we sell leggings and sports bras and shirts and you know and so it's that's where it's been like how do you capture that attention so i'm sorry and that was specifically for just on the the luxury created fitness apparel one how are you capturing attention on that one because that's sort of in the middle in a way right where it is like yeah a lot you know a lot of women view it as a necessity it's like you you gotta have this it's it's like and you deserve it because you're working out so it's like i deserve to have whatever i want to spend on this because i'm doing something so good for me which is part of it yes i i I think we do two things. One, this has been super impactful and I recommend anyone listening, like do not discount the value of a survey, right? And, and there's two forms of surveys that we've found to be very impactful. Um, one is, is that you can set up, I, we use, we use an app called Grapevine. Um, we're Shopify stores. And what we capture post-purchase is a survey that says, how did you hear about us, right? And in that, we ask specifically the one single question and single response answer. It says like, how did you hear about us? And then it goes Instagram ad, Instagram post, Facebook ad, so on and so forth. Google, Pinterest, TikTok, influencer, friend and family, whatever. We put that up as a survey for all consumers, all evergreen always running as far as how do they think, right? Again, self-survey. How do they think that, that they found us? And a lot of people, again, if you're an established brand, may even being almost five years, sometimes they're like, I don't remember. <laughs> you know, this is the sixth time I've purchased. Uh, and so sometimes you'll, you know, and then you leave an open other field and you let people kind of fill it in. Sometimes they'll be like, I found you on Amazon or I've been a longtime customer or whatever that may be. That's one. The second that we've found that's been super impactful and this has helped us do a couple of things I'll chat about, but one has been, we have used a just general, we use type form. We just recently did another one. We send out a survey to kind of consumers that have purchased over a couple times, kind of just depends on the volume of your, of your database of someone that has, has your, your product. And we just send a, Hey, you want a discount? We will give you a discount. We'll give you credit in the store. We'll give you whatever. To, to fill out the survey. And in that survey, we asked them things like, what products did you buy? Um, why did you buy them? Uh, what, is it, what is it that you felt we did right? What, when you got the products, what could we, could we do better? 
And then on top of that, we ask for high level demographic information. Are you male, female? How, do you own a home? Um, you know, general household income kind of stuff, just high level understanding. And then like kind of generally what state area are you in? Again, we're US based. So like what state are you in? And, and we level it there. What that's done for us has allowed us to really understand as much as we can, like the who is coming. And this has been as of recently, because we've had so much volatility, like we assumed that our consumer was like way focused in on price or whatever it may be. And we kind of stood back and found like, well, actually the consumer that we're going after is really more interested in like comfort and style and options and, and product selection. They weren't like super prices always affordable and prices like every consumer is like, yeah, if I can get something right, if, if I could go get, you know, a pair of Jordans on sale, heck yeah, I'm going to go get them. Like, right. I'm going to go get that. But most consumers were just more interested. Their number one, our number one was style for like, for Maven Thread. It was like, we're more, we're way more interested in what you offer and how you make that product more than price. So like, we were like, well, that's really interesting. Now price was an indicator of like their willingness to buy. So in some cases it, we, we, we saw the scale of like, we also asked questions like, what is it that drives you to, to buy from us? Is it text message? Is it email? Is it whatever? And we found that like, they said, I stay in touch via email. I buy primarily because of new styles as much as I do from a promotion. So like as interested in, you know, a new colorway as they are in like 15% off, you know, President's Day weekend or whatever. Um, and so that's been kind of the bigger deep dive that we've done there is like we found that, okay, we know that our cons- who our consumer is and, and we're, we're starting to identify that clearer. Are we getting the results in paid social and are we creating content that focuses in on that core consumer? Because ultimately, if if I know that style's it, I'm not going to put price ever. I don't need to put $60 legging. I don't need to put that. I need to just show the legging in its life. Women uh, doing workouts in it or a user that's saying, oh my gosh, I found these on whatever. And you know, the, I found it on TikTok mover, UGC style testimonial. These are amazing, right? Um, we, have, we have this TikTok out there. You'll have to look it up. Uh, Maven, I, I can't think of the account, but she does squat proofing in it. And, but she wears these like cat pants underneath it. So you can, if you see the cat, you would see. So there's just, there's this like virality opportunity. I just of, got it. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. You can do that. But she does it. And, and you'd be amazed at though, how many apparel companies that sell leggings are not squat proof and she proves it. And so it's like, how do we validate the fact that our pants are primarily squat proof? Well, a consumer on her own grabbed our product, an influencer on TikTok, put it up, did her thing with the product, showed it, and now, you know, in some cases, 300,000 views on that. Cool. Like, that's amazing for us. And we've seen an impact from that. But more than anything, we've thought through, okay, yes, we can get TikTok influencers to drive results. That's huge. Two, if value is shown in most cases, and it's reputable. So we've had a couple influencers that are just, their followings are like so diehard, like actual, like really good engagement. And they move the needle for us, right? 
But like, I don't, I don't think I could say, oh, dude, go all in on influencer. Go all, keep going in all on paid ad. I, I think it's holistically standing back and saying, we know exactly who our customer is and we're excited about that. How do we lean into those things that they told us that they like? Now, again, the subset's not like we've got 10,000 responses back, but it's like, you know, four, three, 400, 500 people came and said blank. I'm going to trust that's a fairly good group of info to help me go and now decide, okay, they said, honestly, paid ads was uh, influencer was, a, was how I came in. That, that was my main thing. And, and, and I trusted that. So now I'm a, as a marketer, I'm like, okay, well, I've had big box influencers go, right? Like, you know, what you would define as like celebrity influencers and nothing. But then I get this little mom in Tennessee that has a great little organic following push for me. Sweet. Like, and again, all the things you've talked about on the podcast, if they whitelist, if they, and there's a ton of different ways of dissecting that, but I feel like we've been able to capture that information now in this new environment. We recently just did it like a month ago, and now we're slowly starting to say, okay, we know consumers are still on Facebook. We know that the TikTok's growing. We know we can go out to CTV. YouTube still has opportunity. YouTube Shorts is growing, like all the things. Now it's like, okay, where where do we want to put those dollars and, and hopefully do it in a way that when we spend those dollars or send that product out to consumers that they, when they post it, that we see that impact. I love this idea of like reframing who your customer really is and really what they want, really understanding that. Cause I think most, so many businesses operate with that as an assumption and a lot of them will have checked it in the beginning and maybe a lot along the way, but there's so much value in rechecking it. Just talking with Kuru Footwear, uh, the other day that podcast just came out and he was just talking about how he came in and they were like, Oh yeah, it's dead. We, we can't mine the, these niches anymore. Um, but then he just sort of restructured everything around problem, you know, being problem aware and solution and just sort of structured all of it, the campaigns that way and just reignited everything because they just refocused on who the customer was, what they wanted. And then they served them dynamic messaging based on that. And so this idea that your customers aren't out there or that you burned out these pools, like it's just, it's crazy considering how many people there are. Exactly. And again, back to my, everyone's still on it. It's just, it's just the way in which you're dissecting that is going to take exactly like, like there, there's going to require an effort in segmentation recognition, right? One of your existing database that you had when you crushed it, where did they go? They still have homes. They still spend money on things, right? Like where are they at? What's, what's that LTV look like? What are you, what effort are you spending in reactivating thousands and thousands of customers potentially in your database? And, and you may be pushing those at, at, in a way, but it's like find ways to bring back authenticity into that messaging, provide them value. That's the problem. A lot of the times I stand back and I even look at our own ecosystem of like post-purchase sequences and, and automatic journeys and browse abandonments and all that stuff. And I'm just like, I'd never interact with that. <laughs> like, if, like I would never interact with that. Like, wh- why? Why do I care? Why do I care what you have to say about, you know, the high-waisted band on your pan? Cool. Thanks. Lead with how it makes their lives better. It's funny. Exactly. This is an outreach tip for anyone, you know, reaching out on LinkedIn or anything. You have to lead, not with like, oh, I have this neat thing that you think is neat. It'll be neat for us. It'll be neat for me if you come on my podcast. But Or do what you did and just email me and send me product and then you get on the podcast. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) That works too. Little note out there. That also works as well. 
It's time to let your customers enjoy the products they love without the friction of reordering. That's why the world's most innovative brands like Pete's Coffee and Il Maquillage rely on order group subscriptions to build long-lasting customer relationships and deliver recurring revenue. Order Group integrates with all e-commerce platforms, making the experience easy to manage and seamless for shoppers. From enrollment incentives to churn-fighting AI, Order Group gives your business the tools it needs to be the next big subscription success story. Visit ordergroove.com DTC to receive two months off your first contract. Um, actually, I had one more question just about the fractional CMO thing. What are the team's... Uh, on the brand side, like when you're coming in as a CMO, are you are you do you become the main marketing person in that organization? Do they already have a marketing team uh, that you integrate with? What does that look like? Uh, it, in these cases, it's been kind of both. They they had, I would say they had, and, and some of those three brands, there were opportunities to take a little bit more of a direct role in just like at jumping in and picking up pieces that needed assistance with. And in most cases though, it's like there was an integrated team. I had to just go create, I had to create relationships with, with that. And, and in this, with those brands too, that the owner is phenomenal guy, super engaged, like passionate about what he's building. And so it was super easy to just connect in and, and, a, and become an assistance in, in the momentum that he had and in, in assisting him in solving problems rather than trying to come in and solve his problems, just come in and be a partner in problem solving. It's totally different. And, and, and I think that approach with the team has been significant in not just coming in and saying, hey, email team or email agency that's working or whatever, you're doing this wrong. It's like, well, help me understand what you guys are doing. And then it's like, okay, let's stand back and then just incrementally start chipping at it and it, it tends to be a little bit less like sharp and ugh, like too like uh, abrupt. I've found that that in these relationships, it's been easier to like inch into it and find where you, while you're running alongside them. Yeah, pick up pick up the scraps of the things that 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 are that have changed, which is coming. You know, I came in in those cases and and started to operationally run some of the paid ads, and then had resources, you know, agencies or whatever that were running other pieces. It's it's controlling, taking up the slack where I could really quickly. But then if there's an existing process, a designer, a creative director, like I'm not going in and like shaking the pot. I'm just saying, well, what have we been doing? Help me understand. How can what I help? What exactly do you do around here? Yeah. You're not, you're not giving them the office space. <laughs> no, for sure. And, but in this, in this case, it's like, yeah, but realistically coming and honestly saying like, what is it that I can do to assist you in doing what? you need me to do for you. Does that make sense? Like I want to be a resource rather than me saying becoming a taskmaster. Like I don't know creative direction as well as you do. Like, you know, the brand way more than I do. And it's like, I'm not going to, there's nothing I'm going to do. That's going to change. Let's just try to let's, let's approach things and then move it. That's where it's been significant is not no need to like come in even as a consultant and any, anyone listening. Like if you're like, the change makers that make the most impact take the time to understand the their their ability to find the small wins first and then incrementally work into a results driven relationship right value is received when value is provided and if value is not provided and that could just be 
positive go get them <laughs> way to goes. Um, that assists in the process of like, oh, dang, this didn't go as well as we thought, but, and then dissecting potentially why that no one's at fault. That approach has been helpful and not feeling so like, oh, dude, this coming, this guy's going to come in and I'm going to lose my job because he's going to bring in his guys or he's going to bring in his consultants or, you know, and then the agency gets defensive that's doing the email because they're like, well, this, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, you guys are awesome. Way to go. Thanks for like, and then working towards a resolve. And if there's, there's issues at blatant issues, then solve those. Right. I think you met, you mentioned, you know, reframing and, and just sort of like stepping back. And it reminds me, I don't know if you know, this, this is a funny story about uh, turpentine. So tur- uh, varnish, sorry, varnish used to be made and it used to have to be boiled. So it used to have to be boiled in order to chemically catalyze. And so in order to tell when it was finished, they would literally throw an onion into the varnish and then it would sizzle. And that's how they know because you can, it's so viscous, you can't tell whether it's boiling or not. So then they came up with a new chemical process to create varnish that didn't require it to be boiled. It didn't have to be boiled. It didn't have to reach that temperature. It was way safer and easier to do, but still every time they'd throw an onion into the can at the end. And it's like, and I think, I think that's such a good metaphor for business because it's like you, you're running so hard at, in a startup in, in trying to build these businesses and you, you operate on so many underlying assumptions that having someone come in and in a gentle way, not in a way that makes you think you're going to lose your job, but be able to get you to step back and really evaluate the processes. I must be hugely valuable for these brands. Yeah. And again, in, in most cases too, you got to realize that you, you win, you like, you know, if you're in baseball, like you lose more than you win, man. Like the, it's a game of averages. It's a game of getting up to bat and swinging and swinging and swinging. And, and some, most of the time you don't hit home runs. Like you just want to go first. of the time you strike out and you'll be in the hall of fame. Exactly. And so the, the, the same conversation comes in digital marketing. Like that's not, this is not an easy sport. This is not an easy profession. It's not operations and it's not accounting. It, it's not. Like, and, the and it's tough fun because everyone has an idea about how you could do it better. I just saw a tweet on that this morning. Org, everyone in <laughs> the organization, the exactly. Everyone in the org's like, well, heck, well, you could do, it's like, no, you, it, it evolves every day. It changes today's, tomorrow's going to be different than literally today. Like by the time this podcast comes out, something will have changed. I mean, TikTok now has 10 second videos. Wow. That happened yesterday, this morning. Like, it's like those kinds of things evolve and it's like, don't get on yourself because you're not either up to date on that or that you know how to solve against it. Just tackle yeah, it. Just tomorrow. read the DTC newsletter. You're, you're, you read you're it. Dude, like another plug. I love it. <laughs> just plugging it. Okay. So in the name of backing up, in the name of expanding, I wanted to ask if you're a DTC brand, how should you know when you're ready to sort of expand beyond paid social and into these, some of these other broader channels? That's a super good question. I think it has everything to do with your ability to drive customer demand. Meaning I don't know if I would, if you don't feel like one, your organization can support the expansion onto a third party marketplace. Again, all the brands I've ever worked with, literally ever worked with have had a presence on Amazon. Um, I don't know why it's just, this has always been, they've always been a kind of, They've had a website and they've always sold a level of their product on Amazon. I think that there's a potential, the next step is like, now then what? Okay, like when does it make sense to to expand, right? When does it make sense to go onto a walmart.com? Does it ever make sense to go onto walmart.com? How much cannibalization exists in that? When does it make sense to try to go get, activate a wholesale relationship? 
Um, I would say, in my opinion, it's when the people beg for it, <laughs> right? And that could be that could be literally just in the hometown that you're stationed out of, right? I'm in I, I'm in out of a, a suburb of Salt Lake City. We've got some great brands here. Um, you know, Built Bar, if you've heard of them, they're just like a great little protein bar company, G2G Bar, all down the street. A lot of people might not even know who they are. You live in where I live, every billboard, every like it's all over the place, right? And and, and they've they found that they can just own this little this little corner of the world. And so in some cases, I think it's really making sure that you've got demand generation enough that when those relationships start to form, that you can support those. Because I've seen way too many brands expand way too fast into retail, assuming that a large national relationship with Target is going to change their business, and it actually hurts it. Give me an example of how does, how does a relationship with Target hurt your business potentially? Because what ends up happening is, is that Target drives consumers into their store via just being Target. And a lot of the times, you're one of many selections of a similar product. If you're and if you're if you've got something, let's just say like unique, you know, you're you're a unique take on a specific product, or like oh, we're super different, but we're you know we're in whatever. What can happen is is that you ultimately end up on a shelf in a section, right? And and Target has its buyers by section and whatever, but you end up in a section. Who's to say? that me walking in the door of a target even knows you exist there. And so a relationship comes and they say, we want to put you on the shelf. What a lot of people don't know is that there's slotting fees and there's all kinds, it costs money to sit on that shelf. They don't just give it to you, right? You lose margin for the, whatever. It's okay, cool. I thought we're excited. We got this really big PO and we're in 700 stores or whatever. Great. You don't have demand for your product. Right. One, if, so if you're just tucked in on a shelf somewhere in, you know, D73 in Target or whatever, and no one knows who you are, no one's going to buy you. Right. It, it, because there's no reason for them to purchase you. They don't know who you are. They walk up to your product. They see four different, you know, men's hair creams or whatever. And they go, I'll just go with the Old Spice one or the Axel, the one I know. Right. Because there's no reason for them to know why you're different than your competition. So sitting on that shelf, in some cases, can be just expensive. And then you get to the point where a line review comes and they want to bring you on again. And now you're, they're making you pay for that product to come back to you, right? Sending it back to you. You're paying for it. It's been sitting on the shelf now for a year. And they required you to buy it back. Or... They sell it at a significant discount below what you want on the market. You don't want consumers knowing they can get it for 50% off, but, but they do because they own it. And so it's like, I've seen tons of brands in tricky spots where they just overextended themselves, not having the demand in the market and flopped. And not being as, as clearly differentiated. Like if you have a product that's super differentiated on the shelf and maybe I, I think about Josh Elizeche and how he, with, with like Target, he actually created new categories with them for his products, which is like, that's how you do it, right? Yes. And that's, and that's great. Yeah. But like you and, and Manscaped's another great example, right? They had a phenomenal direct to consumer business and I'm guessing, I don't know what the store, but I'm guessing that the end cap that I saw on every Target that I walked in, they had to have like they made a phenomenal relationship to get those end caps. That that just that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen for yeah. 
And an investment too. And right? I think you're correct. And an investment. And so you look at it and you go, did it make sense for them to expand? Heck yeah. But they had already had significant demand and they were, they had their game together. They were, they were advertising well. They had influencer cranking well. You'd see them all over YouTube, sports marketing TikTok on everywhere. TikTok, yeah. like, like the cornhole championships and like crazy stuff. Like they were, and so by the time that they were like, let's go and have a relationship, every, you already knew who Manscaped was. And now you're walking through a Target, you had heard of it, you can now touch it, feel it, see it, boom, $70, $80, whatever it was, you got the full kit and you're walking out the door. The same goes with any major, like Henry's and Target, Flamingo, all these direct-to-consumer brands, uh, Dollar Shave Club, that all had created demand first and then had visibility that was the that was the phase that worked. The problem is, is if you're just a food and you're saying like, oh, if I could get into all the Krogers, like walk into the protein bar of a Krogers, walk into the protein bar of a, of, of a Whole Foods. The consumer has no idea why your macros are better than the next one or why you're, you know what I'm saying? And, and you sit and die on a shelf. Can you give me an example of a product that you've run and taken to one of these marketplaces and what you did, some of the steps that you t took to make sure it would be successful? Yeah. So again, uh, these two, these, the brands I'm working with right now are still in the kind of traditional direct to consumer. So they haven't, we've been, we're, we're looking at, okay, what does it look like? What type of demand do we need to drive? Does it even make sense? And just, you know, some cases guys never make sense. Just, there's no reason to be in a door. You can do just as well. Your margin's great, whatever. But the brands that I have worked with and, and worked on those expansions into, I would say there's kind of two sides of it. So most brand, most big boxes, most big retailers have a very strong .com presence, like Walmart.com, right? Uh, 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 Whole Foods is Amazon, but like Whole Foods has its own .com. Like all these have very strong .coms, um, you know, Sephora, Ulta, Nordstrom. In most cases they will bring you to their .com first and you have to prove it. So the tricky part comes is that in those expansions, those platforms have advertising within them. So you've got to go now make a decision that I'm making less margin and now I can go use a Criteo or I can use whatever, Walmart's like, an, they have their own built out like Amazon ads and run ads to try to drive against keyword or try to, to or whatever, right? And and what, it's, what gets tricky is that because you don't have the same margin that you do in direct-to-consumer, you have to be very picky with what you're willing to get from a cost per acquisition perspective. And, and is it worth it? Like, is it worth it to go acquire a $17 customer on a product margin that may not be that? So, like, so it, it has a lot to do with, I think, strategically knowing that, you know, there's demand for your product on those marketplaces. Like if your product sells well on Amazon and your .com and you know on specifically on Amazon that you've got good search, you probably might do decent and you have a very approachable product, if that makes sense. You might do decent on walmart.com. Like because a bunch of people are searching, you know, whatever, men's hair cream and you've got a really great, you know, pomade then you potentially might be able to come up in search against your competitors in that marketplace and win the sale. Um, but like the next phase in most of those cases is those brands will then say, those boxes will then say, okay, meet these goals on .com and then we'll take you into doors. The tricky part is 
is that if you, again, if you haven't created the demand where they're coming to you saying, oh, help us out, we want your relationship, then it's now you just become one of many and it gets diluted. And now you're deciding whether you should put money into that or not to grow it. And so I get, so I would say it's been transitioning from their dot coms to their brick and mortar has been a, it's kind of a process of just trial and error per se, especially if you're just like a new to market brand that also is starting to grow its retail presence. Like, I don't know if there's like a one-to-one, like this is the execution plan for it working or not, but I have found that there's been success with trying to work in a strategic relationship. And that most cases comes with discount. So in some cases, most of these retailers will get you visibility if you give them a hook, hook them up with a crazy deal or exclusivity or whatever. And in some of that, that can be e-blast emails that can be banners on the site potentially. But in most of those cases, it's all going to mean that you're paying for it in margin or an actual like cost expense. I think it, the, the, be, the best point is really like to view these, these marketplaces as distribution channels when the demand is there so that you're catching people who are going because you want to get people where they are. You don't need, and if you're getting people where they are, that sort of hedges against cannibalization of your core market in a way, right? Because there may be people that only shop at Target or only shot shop at Amazon. And those are the people you're getting that are an incremental increase to who you would have got through your ads or through organic or whatever. Exactly. And that's, and that's what always gets tricky. And that's so, so something, and, 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 you know, when we were chatting before this, I had mentioned, we found so if you get to the point where you're like, okay, I do have a handful of, whether you're in direct.com marketplace, you know, I'm on bestbuy.com and I'm on whatever that may be, that we found that the recognition on those platforms using a, process, a thing we called retail sell-through or retail sales report in tracking the success of that had assisted us in potentially, this is hard to track, cannibalization like you mentioned right because the fear is always like oh if it goes on walmart.com my my dot com is going to suffer because i'm going to be competing against my own keywords which you are you know i'm going like so when someone searches maven thread if i'm on walmart.com i'm going to get they're going to cannibalize my search because they're going to try to capture my customer before i capture my own customer on my dot com and so you're totally right it's recognizing the opportunity to be present to consumers searching for your product or in a store looking for your product. And one, you have a very great visual relationship with that retailer in the store. You're a, you're an aisle thing. You're on the end cap. You've got some a stick out or whatever that may be. That's like retail visualization outside of that. I would say, yes, like you want to make sure that you're tracking if I'm spending $200,000 on Facebook ads and I'm not see, I'm, and I see, start seeing a decrease in that success as I increase my retail, you ought to assume that consumers are finding you in other places, right? Because where else are they going? Again, and the bad example of that is like Facebook, let's say Google, right? If, you, if you've had a really consistent Google history and then you start to expand and that goes down, then they're, you're getting competed with by brands that you're selling to that are doing a better job at acquiring those customers, which isn't a bad thing, but is that what you want, right? Like, do you want that incrementality to leave you in the opportunity that it would exist in a big PO, right? And it's exciting. You mean, seriously, 
200, $300,000, $400,000 POs are so exciting to get as a brand. You're like, oh my gosh. But you have to support that. They're going to acquire it. They're going to put it on a shelf and you're going to go, now what? Let's, we got to move it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If not, it's going to come back you to gotta us. You got to have sell through. Yeah, you got to have that sell through. And so it will come back. It depends on the relationship and that's where like, it gets very intricate, but yes, it potentially could, they could literally send it back to you or they again discount it so much that that vendor funded, they call it vendor funded discount. They will discount it and you pay for it. Which could potentially damage your brand and your future efforts. If you're then seen as like a hundred percent brand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you go to Costco and you see the little asterisk on the sign that that product will not be there once the pallet's gone and the retailer took the hit for it. People don't know that, 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 so, so, so again, it comes back to if, if you're going to go into Costco and you've got a really great direct to consumer business going right now, and you know, like, dude, if our cookies make it into the, into the aisle and they see those, they'll have already seen them out on the, on the web. They've seen influencers talking about them, whatever they'll sell, they'll sell through like a great example. I've done some work with true fruit. If you guys have heard of True Fruit, if not, it's a phenomenal snack. And they have really figured out how to drive awareness through influence and ads. And they sell a lot of units on at Costco. Now, there may not be in every Costco in the country, but they've done a really great job of creating demand in a market and being available when you're there. Like, you can see it. I've heard it. Oh, I see it. I can grab it when I'm walking through buying my normal groceries or whatever. So that, that's what's got to happen. Create the demand. And then when the consumer sees your product, like, oh, dude, I just saw a TikTok on that. I just saw a Facebook ad for that. Like, I've totally wanted to try it, but I haven't wanted to pay $5 in shipping or I haven't wanted to have to buy a four pack of it. Like, I want to just try one. Like, that's where the value can Or come. whip out my credit card. I wasn't ready to whip out my credit card then, but I'm going to do it anyway here. And I'm, yeah, I'm already buying yeah. stuff and I want to get it. Like, sweet, I'll get it. That That's where there's value. And that that's in any example. That. I, you know, you're an outdoor brand and you end up in an REI. Cool. Like be impactful in REI and have a relationship in that outdoor community so that when that outdoor enthusiast sees you, they're excited. Like they're like, oh, dude, this is what I, I saw. I've seen this. I've heard people talk about this thing. I can now get it right here. I can touch it and feel it. And I, that's awesome. That's way to way to go. That's super cool that they're here. Like it's more of that than like, who's this brand? What is I've never seen these guys before. If you shelve it, they will come is, you know, is it's not going to get you there. That's a, that's the quote of the podcast, dude. If you should, exactly. It, it, it won't, it, it has to be demand driven. And then you're now at least on an equal playing field with your competition. Cause you're not going to, unless you, hopefully if you've got a magical product and you're the only one, congratulations, but most products are going to fall into a subset of similar. And now again, that the demand's there, it's there. So again, if they shelve it, I love it, dude. <laughs> I love, I love uh, creating quotes here. This is funny. This is just zipped right along here. I, th- we have some other questions, but I think we'll have to have you back on. You may be our like resident fractional uh, CMO. Oh, dude, uh, which, I love it. I love it. But I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, the question we love to ask is if we were to give you a 50K grant to be leveraged in your, like, I'd love to hear if you had answers for all three brands, but you could just pick one or two of the ones that you think would be most impactful. But if we were to give you a 50K grant to be put into your marketing, uh, where would you put it for these brands to see the biggest uh, impact in the next couple months? I would 
I'm not. I'm kind of OG. I, I still I still have faith. Like I would probably put a lot of it in back into Instagram and Facebook, and I would probably spend it more in driving top of funnel trafficish impression rather than like low funnel conversion objectives. Just because it's like if I can get and still be in front of those consumers qualified. So I would do two things. I would spend. I'd spend probably. 5k to 10k of it to go get the best asset possible user generated mixed together get a couple like really good new piece of content something that's fresh and fun and and really engaging and then i would spend it a ton of it on instagram and facebook just because again i think that there's still legs um it's hard to attribute and it's you know there's some accuracy but like i still think that there's more a little bit like layered down in qualification of Facebook currently than you get in a TikTok or a Pinterest impression. Like they're, they're very just, it's, this is something important. They're in entertainment platforms. TikTok's an entertainment platform, right? Totally. Pinterest, we were just talking about this. A hundred percent is. Pinterest is a discovery platform and Instagram is weird. Like Instagram is like a bit of both a bit of both. And so you're there to, you're there to more or less keep in touch or track of the things that you like. TikTok, you're there just trying to find fun stuff that's new and exciting. And so it, I kind of put TikTok in the same level as like casually watching TV. It's like, what's the difference between TV and TikTok? Not a ton. Meaning it's kind of like, board time anyway. I do both now, usually 100%. at the same time. That's, so usually, the question that's comes, usually my evenings. And so the question comes is it's like, is it a impression? Yes. Are consumers on there qualified? Yes. Are they thinking about purchasing your product? Probably not. Can you stick with them? I think over time, I think you'd have to have, you know, I get Chime ones all the time. Isn't that like credit card or whatever? Like I, I heard probably five, you know, you'd have to be repetitiveness of it. And I think repetitive repetitiveness on top of that, and it's a very, again, it's a very TV strategy. Like how many times Geico, Allstate, right? All the insurance, like you, you progressive, you, you know, those names immediately because you legitimately see 1200 commercials. If you're into sports, like that's all over. And so that's very TikTok. TikTok is a game. I think a game of like touches, just boom, 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 consistency, touch, touch, touch. And, and then that just Dry that that includes influencer and paid kind of and potentially your ability to run organic. You run those kind of like together, then I think you can win on TikTok. Outside of that, again, I just I think you can better control 50k of spend back in the OG, back in Facebook. So long answer, but that's my that's how I would use it. I love it. And it, we just, I just did a podcast with Jones Road Beauty CMO, um, Cody Plofker, and he was mentioning, oh, I think this is really neat. Do you, know, do you know Cody? Smart guy. No, he, I did. I just, I recently just kind of got more into the, to the marketing Twitter and he's been someone I've been like, he's he laid, like his yeah. thought leadership is incredible. Yeah. He's, he's a smart guy. And what I love what they've been doing on TikTok is they recognize that it's an entertainment platform versus a social platform and they no longer run their products for purchase. They no longer run to the PDP page. They run to an entertaining quiz where you're, you're figuring that. out what your skin type is and what kind of makeup you want or whatever. Yep. And then they're finding it's way more profitable than to market to them by SMS or email after the fact, rather than trying to get them in that entertainment moment. Yeah. Get someone, get someone like interested, provide, again, it goes back to provide them value. Let them, let them come in and discover and you give them value. Let them get a result of a quiz. 
and then then sell them, right? I always say, if you walk into a retail experience right now and the associate comes up to you and pressures on you, oh, hey, we've got this thing and that thing. You're like, dude, I don't even know what you have in the store. Let me walk around really quick. Let me see what pants you even have. Let me see if the shirts are up to my style. And then when I get close to checkout, I'll ask you, are, do you have any specific offers that you can, that you're running right now? Oh, the, the jeans in the back of the store, like that, like, or, or let me walk to the clearance rack, but don't punch me in the face when I come to just enter. I'm, I'm walking in the mall with my kids cause it's cold and I'm bored or something like don't, don't punch me with that offer. And I love it. Like, yeah, bring me to a quiz. Take me to a, take me to something fun that, 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 that vibes into that concept of it's an entertainment platform. A hundred percent. And gives you incredible zero party data for your sales pitch after the fact. Uh, from, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the genius part of that. Yeah. Retarget get their email, get their long. text all day long. <laughs> all this, the, all the things. This is a lot of fun, Brian. Um, you Love mentioned it, D2C Twitter. Where can our listeners uh, connect with you best? Is it Twitter? You, we connected on LinkedIn. Where do you recommend yeah, people find you? For sure. LinkedIn's kind of, LinkedIn's kind of my, my main one. So it's just Brian holiday. Um, I'm getting, I'm new into Twitter, so I'm not like, pretty heavy, but it's, uh, I think it's South ninth is my, I, I had some Twitter issues. I, had, I set up a new account. So South ninth there, but LinkedIn's kind of my main, that's where I'll, that's where I kind of like to connect and, and interact with, with different marketers or whatever. So feel free to like connect and ask me questions. I'm more than happy to, to just chat. I love connecting with fellow marketers um, so yeah, so LinkedIn's probably the best. It worked for us. And I got to say, as a reminder to yeah, all yeah. you listeners out there, you want to get on the podcast, you got to send me some gifts. That's why it get, worked for get, Brian. Hook, hook, I've been using, I've been using some of those products. I am hook. not above bribery. Luckily, this turned out into a, a great conversation. Awesome, uh, so thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. Been a blast for sure. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.